Good morning, everybody. Hey, I want to uh, I want to begin by reading a passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to uh, Psalm 127. And I'm just going to read two two verses, and we're going to kind of circle around these verses today and uh, next week as well. Psalm 127, uh, beginning of verse one, says this: Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating of the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Father, this morning as we open up your word and as we think on these things, I pray, Father, today that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would hear you, that we would understand the things that we need to change, that we would understand the things that you have done, and that we would be able to Walk forward in faith and walk towards a God who loves us. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So today, I want to kick off a little um, two-week message series entitled, Walk the Line. Okay? Walk the Line. Now, this is a phrase that I think I first heard. uh, First time I heard it, it was in a Johnny Cash song. You guys know it. Because you're mine. I walk the line. And then that song, you just get stuck in my head. I've been singing it for two weeks, driving everybody at the office nuts. (laughs) Uh, I was thinking this song, walk the line. So what does it mean? What does it mean to walk the line? Well, there are a bunch of different definitions. So obviously to walk the line in, in the case of Johnny Cash means to behave. Okay. Uh, but I, I like the definition that the urban dictionary gives to us uh, for walk the line. Okay. Uh, it, it gives this definition. That I think is really helpful for us as we go through these next couple of weeks to maintain a fragile balance between one extreme and another. To maintain, you know that there are things in life that are tensions that we manage. Some things are problems that we have to solve and some things are tensions we have to to manage, okay? And if you don't know what it's like to try to maintain a fragile balance between one extreme and another, try talking politics at a family gathering. Some of you have tried this. (laughs) And hopefully, the people of Pathway are centrist. We're trying to bridge the divide between our extreme family on both sides and say, "Let's, let's talk, let's listen, let's be in the middle. But of course... What we're trying to do is, is walk the, the line, a fragile balance between one extreme and another. When I was a young man, I began uh, reading the Bible, and for me, I read the Bible and I thought, wow, this book is really simple. There's rules to follow. Uh, there's things that I know I have to do. There's things God's going to do. And basically, I, I thought of it this way. I thought, if I just do step A, and then I do step B, and then I do step C, and there's like clear steps that you do, you know, in obedience. And if you do all these things, you end up pleasing God and going to heaven, and everything's great. And so what really happened was I created a formula, looking at the Bible, and many people do this. They read the Bible, and they make it formulaic. It's like, do this, and this, and this. The problem with that line of thinking, okay, is that relationships don't operate based on formulas, have you noticed this? If you've been in a relationship with anyone, then you know that it's like it's more like walking a tightrope, right? Trying to find the right thing to say at the right time, trying to walk the line. Okay, and I do have a white line on the stage. You probably can't see it. Folks at home, you probably can't see that, but maybe they'll zoom in on my feet. I've got this line on the stage, this white line, and this is going to be my illustration today, all right, as we talk about trying to navigate the extremes of life. Years ago, I heard a theologian uh, say this about the Bible, and it kind of like blew my mind, and it's still blowing my mind. He said, the Bible is filled with tension-filled pairs. He said, the Bible is filled with tension-filled pairs, and I thought about that a little bit, 
And he began to explain, and I've talked about this before, but he began to explain. Here's an example. The Bible, throughout its pages, from cover to cover, actually talks about the sovereignty of God. And for those that don't know what that word means, it means that God is in control, that God will determine what happens in history. That's why God can say, here's what's going to happen in the end days. He knows the end from the beginning, and he's at work in all of human history. But then there's this other tension, because the Bible also teaches that God has given us the freedom to choose. He's given us free will, right? So even though God is in control of human history and God knows where everything's going, he lets me choose if I'm going to do good or evil. He lets me choose whether I'm going to obey him or rebel against him. And so you, you think to yourself, okay, I'm trying to figure this out logically. A, B, C, D. How can I have free choice and you have free choice and we can choose what we do and yet how could God still be in control of it all? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us the answer to that. What it does is it gives us a tension-filled pair, and we have to walk the line between those two. It's like God is in control, and yet I have responsibility. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so we walk the line theologically between these two ideas. And I could give you a few more examples of this. Here's another one, law and grace. Right In the Old Testament, God gives the law to his people. Thou shalt not... Boom, boom, boom. All these laws are given. And if you keep these laws, things will go well with you. If you don't keep these laws, you'll pay the price. You'll get what you deserve, right? That's what law is. You don't do what you're supposed to do. You get what you deserve. But then the Bible is also filled with the message of grace. And grace is essentially you don't get what you deserve. And any logical person goes, how can you get what you deserve and you don't get what you deserve coexist? It's a tension-filled pair. And, and I've said this before, lots of people enter into their faith and they enter into church and they're really heavy on law. So here's the line, they're way over here. And some churches and some people will be way over here, all grace, all grace, all grace, no responsibility, I don't have to do anything. And of course, what we're called to do is walk the, walk the line. To, to be in the center of these tensions that we find in Scripture. Here's, here's one more, we can keep going for a while, but this always blew my mind, that God is simultaneously... The great judge over all things that one day God himself will look at every human being and be like, here's what you did. And here's, here's your punishment. Here's your reward uh, as a good judge. But he's also our savior. The same one that will like judge people for not doing the things will actually save them for not doing it. So it's like God is our great judge and our savior. It's like, whoa. And some people focus on the savior bit. He saves, he saves, he saves, he saves me, he saves me. And they don't take responsibility. And other people focus on this. They're like, God's going to strike me with a lightning bolt. Any moment I'm about to get zapped down because he's the great judge and I know I've done wrong. What are we called to do, guys? Called to walk the line between the two things. Okay? And uh, let me just share a few more examples, okay? Because this is not just a theological thing. This is actually, this whole tension between the two sides, the tension-filled pairs. This is life. As I already said, uh, let's think about something as simple as helping. Who, th- who likes to help people? Who thinks helping is good? Okay, about half of the room is like, yeah, we think helping is good. Even something as simple as helping your kids with their homework. There is a line you have to walk. So if my kid doesn't understand their homework and they're struggling and I'm like ignoring them, whatever, your problem, I would be over on this side of the line where it's negligent. So I can help and I should help, but I choose not to. That's called negligence. But, and this has happened many times, if they're doing a project that really fascinates me, I might get him too involved. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The kid shows up at school and they're like, how did you do this? And they're just grinning like, dad did the whole thing. He got really excited. And so if I'm on this side of the line, I'm negligent. And if I'm on this side of the line of helping, guess what? I'm enabling or I'm actually, I'm doing it for my kid so my kid doesn't learn the lessons they need to learn and grow. And what am I supposed to do? 
walk the line. That's what helping is. Let's think about love. Who thinks we should love one another? <laughs> All right, we could, we could talk a lot about love because the Bible, literally, Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. And you might think, well, that's easy. Love, what would Jesus do? Get a bracelet. And then you'll know. The problem is, is that sometimes, as you know, Jesus would be so gracious and merciful and someone would come and their life was destroyed and they were full of sin and he would just love them and be like, come sit with me, eat with me, I love you. And sometimes he would turn and be like, you brood of vipers. You're, you're like these tombs that look pretty, but inside you're full of dead things. That's also love. <laughs> and you know this because if you've ever been in a relationship with family, friends, a spouse, kids, you know there's a fine line called love, okay? And on one side of it, it's like the cover everything up, okay? Your, your, your spouse does something horrific and you're like, that didn't happen, cover it all up. And that might be love, but what also might be love is saying, hey, that really hurt me. Hey, we need to address this issue. Confronting it can be love too. And so what do we have to do? We have to learn to what? Walk the line. It's a tension thing. It's a relationship thing. This is true of finances. We could go on and on. You, God gives us resources and we take those resources. And what do we do with them? Great question. We have to learn to walk the line with the money God gives us because we should spend some and enjoy it. We should definitely give some and we should be saving for the future. All that's is good stewardship. So if you're spending it all, you're not walking the line. You're off center. Okay. And if you're saving it all and you're not giving any away and you're hoarding, then you're over here and we're called to walk the line. And each one of us has to figure out where that is. This making sense. Tension. This is life. This is relationship. This is what it means to be a Christian. We're going to live with tensions. And the tension I want to wrestle with for the next couple of weeks is the tension between these two things. God's part and our part. This is something I have wrestled with for decades. So I'm inviting you to wrestle with me. Because I don't have the answers. But I think what we're going to see is there is clearly something that God does, responsibility he takes in our lives. And then there's responsibility we're supposed to take. I remember as a kid hearing this phrase, God helps those who help themselves. And then I heard somebody say, that's not true. That's not in the Bible. And, and it's not in the Bible. And it's not true, but there's a sliver of truth in it. Because as you're going to see today, God does require something of us. And he asks us to do things in obedience. And, and us doing or not doing those things actually does impact the relationship, right? So, so this is what we're going to be talking about. The God's part and our part. So we'll dive back into our text. This is the, this is the passage that... Um, about three weeks ago, I was on vacation, and I was sitting by the lake on a sunny morning with a coffee, and I opened up, uh, I was reading through the Psalms, and I read this verse, and it, it leapt off the page. Here's the amazing thing about the Bible. You can read something a bunch of times and get nothing from it, and then one time you'll read it, and it's like a light turns on, and as I was reading it, this idea of God's part, our part, really jumped out at me, and this in many ways was a, let's say, a loving fatherly correction. Where I felt like God was saying to me, hey, Nathan, I know you're working hard on your family. I know you're working hard at the church. I know you're working hard on all these other areas of your life. But unless the Lord builds the house, because see, I'm a, I'm a built, my personality, I'm driven and I'm a builder. Okay. So I need to be reminded that if in all my building, I better not leave him out. Does this make sense? Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds my family, unless the Lord builds the ministry, unless the Lord builds Pathway Church... Those who build it labor in vain. This is an encouragement. This is a warning. It's like, hey, don't leave God out of whatever you're building. 
Because if you leave him out, you're going to find yourself working for nothing. It will come to nothing. Okay? This is the, this is the idea. So as I was reading this, unless the Lord builds the house, my, my, my preacher brain kicked on. And I'm like, okay, what house exactly, what house is the psalmist writing about? So, a little bit of history. Uh, Psalm 127 is part of a group of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. Okay, and so during the Jewish festivals, so as the Jewish people would come to Jerusalem for specific festivals, they would sing certain chapters and recite certain chapters as part of the procession. So if you lived in Bethlehem or some other part of Israel and you were traveling to Jerusalem on your way, you and your family would be reciting and singing different psalms. This would be one of them. A lot of theologians believe that this particular passage, uh, Psalm 127, was written by David. We don't know. Written by King David to his son Solomon. And if you know the history of David and Solomon, then you know that David was a great warrior and he united the kingdom of Israel. But because he had shed so much blood, God said, you're not building me a house. You're not going to build the temple in Jerusalem. Your son will do it. And so David gave all the blueprints to his son Solomon and he gave all of the resources. He collected gold and he had contracts for cedar and stone and all of the things needed. And he sort of set the stage for his son to build the house And so if this is David writing to his son Solomon, then it becomes pretty clear what he's trying to communicate. Unless the Lord, what? Builds the house, house, those who build it labor in vain. Hey, Solomon, I got the resources for you. You're going to build a temple and a home for God that the world has, like, that rivals nothing the world has ever seen. But let me remind you of something, son. Unless God's in it, you're wasting your time. I don't care how beautiful it is if you don't involve God in the process of building a home for him. So this is very likely what this passage is about. Of course, we could also interpret this, the word house, as being your home, your legacy, your family. That would also be fair. And I believe both of those things are true. Unless the Lord is involved in what you're building, you labor in vain. You labor in vain. Uh, we all have stuff to build. What are you trying to build right now? Maybe you're trying to build a career. Maybe you're working on your education. Maybe you're building a relationship. Maybe you're hoping to get married. Maybe you are married and you're trying to build a family. Maybe you're trying to build a business, a career. And the message is the same for all of us. Unless the Lord builds the house, what? Those who build it labor in vain. What's interesting about this is that clearly God wasn't going to build the temple. Solomon and the Jews were going to build the temple. They pulled out their axes and their picks and their wagons and their mortar and their gold and their wood. And they're physically building it. But there's an invitation from God to, as we're building the things that we're building, to invite him into the process. And here's the question I have. Are we inviting him into the process? My tension, personally, and this is what I want to talk about. I've got the walk in the line. For me, my tension is to focus on this. I don't know why. Probably because I'm an achiever. Probably because I'm somebody who values hard work. I start going like, God, I'm in this with you and we're working in tandem. And slowly, day by day, week by week, month by month, I start drifting towards this. And maybe some of you, uh, because of your wiring and who you are, maybe you're drifting this way. It's like you start and you're like working hard and you start getting lazy. And you're like, well, God will take care of it. God will do it. It's all fine. You know, I know my kid's a tyrant, but don't worry. God will fix them. And they're just kind of like going this way, right? And of course, we're invited to walk the line. To completely trust God to do his part. But also there are some things we're going to have to do. So today, um, I really have, I have a, a two-point message. I want to talk uh, first to the people like me 
who err on the side of our part, who start doing too much, who start working too hard, and then you cry out to God and you're like, God, I'm overwhelmed. And God's like, yeah, of course. You asked me to do it. He's like, sorry, excuse me, Nathan. Oh, yeah, I guess you didn't ask me to carry all that alone. And what's happened is I've drifted. And so I want to talk to all the drifters who drift in the direction of our part, of achievement, of doing it myself. We take too much responsibility and don't rely enough on God. So anybody in here like that, you can give me a show of hands. There should be at least half the room. Okay. We get too caught up in the what I have to do and my responsibility, and we get over here. So I want to talk to those people first, and I have one point for each, and then I'm going to talk about the people on the other side. Once again, here's our passage, unless the Lord builds a house, they who labor, labor in vain. And here's the big point for everybody like me who drifts this way. If he's not in it, you don't want it. Can we say that together? He's not in it, you don't want it. And the reason why this is so important is because if you're like me and you're driven and you take your responsibilities really seriously and you get your head down and you're working so hard that you're now working without God, you need to be reminded, just like I need to be reminded, that if he's not in it, you're wasting your time. You're building in vain. All of the stuff you're achieving, all the people you're trying to help, all the ministry you're trying to do, all the stuff you're trying to do for your kids, if you're doing it without him, you're wasting your time. You're doing it in vain. If he's not in it, say it with me. If he's not in it, you don't want it. Now all the people on this side of the line need to hear that. If he's not in it, you don't want it. I've noticed that we often start off great. So we start off our journey of faith Walk in the line. It's like trusting God, trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. But we start to achieve things. We start to do things for God. And slowly we begin to drift away. And um, I think if there are any people like me, this is something that happens. And this is true. We can start our business. We can start our family. We can start a marriage. And we're like right in the middle trying to battle all these tensions. And slowly we start moving towards all about what I do and my responsibility. And I just want to encourage you. <laughs> Don't forget God while you're building. And there's a couple of things. So for people like me who would tend to lean in this direction, there's a couple of questions you can ask yourself. Here's the first one. Is this for him? You have to stop. You have to assess. Is what I'm doing really for God? You know, you, you, you see me, I'm a pastor. I'm standing on the stage. It'd be easy to assume that everything that I do in my personal life and at church and at the office is all for Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, Sometimes my motives get mixed, just like yours. And sometimes I have to stop myself and go, is this really for God? Or is this about me looking good? Is this about me achieving something? Asking this question is huge. Is it really for him? We've all seen this, right? So like the man gets his wife an anniversary gift. Honey, I got you an anniversary gift that I knew you'd love. Oh, really? That's so nice. It's a sea-do. Because, you know, you remember that one time that I took you on a sea-do and you were like, this is fun. I wanted you to have lots of fun. And she's thinking to herself, that's not for me. That's for you. And he's like, okay, I'll return it and get you the gym membership. You know, uh, Clearly gifts is not my thing. It really isn't. Um, and so you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like we do things for others like, oh, look how good I am. Look what I do. Look at all the sacrifice. But really it's, it's for you. And I've been tempted uh, to become a workaholic over the years to do. And I'm, so I'm working and neglecting my family. And in my mind, I'm telling myself a story that I'm doing it for them. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm doing this for you, but really it's because I really value what I'm achieving at work. So motives are really important. And so one of the things we want to do is as we're going through life, we will drift off the line 
And asking a question like this, is this really for him, matters. And here's the thing. I've discovered that over time, you can hide your motives really well. You know this, right? You can hide your motives really, really well. And and you can get good at making it appear like it's all for Jesus. Making it appear like it's all for your family. Making it appear like it's all for God's glory. But in reality, it's about you. And nobody knows it but you. But here's, here's here's the rub on this. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said this, if anyone builds on the foundation, he's talking about following Jesus and building the church. And he's like, if you start doing things for the wrong reason, nobody's going to notice right away. You could be building with gold or silver, precious stones, or with wood, hay, and straw. And it isn't necessarily going to be evident to everyone around you. But he says, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So if your motives are wrong and you're claiming to do stuff for God and for your family and for love, but it's really about you, eventually it will all come to light. And when it does, it will be burned up like chaff. There'll be nothing left and everything you've been building will be come to nothing. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend my life building things that go up in smoke. And this is the warning for those of us who get our heads down and try to work and work and achieve and do, oh, we're doing this, but it's really about us. So we ask ourselves, is it for him or is it really about me? Second thing, am I inviting him into the process? So, okay, this is really important. I put this in the, in the present tense, not have I invited, because here's the thing. Most people, when they come to faith in Jesus, they start on the center line. They start here and they say, Jesus, I invite you into my life and I want to live for you and I will try to do my part. So you start here. But over time we begin to drift and what we have to do is continually invite him into the process of our lives. It's not, Christians are not, this is really important. Christians are not people who say, I invite you, Jesus, into my life as my Lord. That's, that's the start. The Christian life is, I invite you into my life as Lord every single day. That's a Christian life. It's not a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. It's a relationship thing. It's a tension thing. It's like, I'm going to seek to honor you and I'm going to seek to live for your glory. And I invite you into the process. I invite you into the process. Over the years, I've noticed that people, um, and again, I've certainly done this, so I could, I'm speaking all this from experience. Uh, when someone comes to faith, they're like, Jesus. Okay, they're driving down the road. Their, their life is a Volkswagen, okay? You're like, mine's a Lexus. Okay, it's a Volkswagen. You're driving. You're driving down your Volkswagen. This is your life, and you're in control. You're at the wheel. And many people come to faith during a season of crisis, Okay. And it's because what happens is they think they're in control. They think they're doing great. And all of a sudden, everything in your life starts spinning out of control. And you realize you're not really in control. And so what do we do? We sing Carrie Underwood, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. And we let go of the wheel and we invite Jesus to take over and we get into the passenger seat. And we're like, Jesus, I give you everything and lead me and guide me and I'll do whatever you say. And he's like at the wheel and things are finally get smoothed out. And then we're going down some good road and it's like, you know, Jesus, um, I think I'll take that back. And so we slowly start inching our way into, you know, we're reaching over him, controlling the pedals. And he's like, okay, you know what? You go ahead. And he's in the, he's in the passenger seat. And then if things go well for a while, we're like, actually, you can sit in the back seat, you know, because I, I met somebody and they're, they're really nice. And so they, they belong in the front seat. So Jesus, you get in the back seat, right? And then they get married and they're like, hey, things are going really well. I'm doing a great job. So they have some kids and that's going well. So they're like, Jesus, you need to get in the trunk. But, you know, like there's no room. And so this is how it's a drift. It's a drift, right? And then, so Jesus is in the trunk, and then all of a sudden, your life starts spinning out of control. What do we do? Jesus, take the wheel. And he's just like, oh, here we go again. You, you hear what I'm saying? 
says a drift. It's a slow thing. And so if we don't want to drift off the line and become so focused on what we do and our strength and our ability, then we have to continually invite him. We have to go, is this about me or him? I'm building for him. Okay. Am I inviting him into the process? And one of the questions I'd ask for those of you on this side of the line is, are you building something right now and he's not involved? That's just it. Like, is he involved in your parenting? Is he involved in your business? Do you allow him to touch your finances? Right? Are you, are you struggling with addiction and not involving him in the, like, are you not involving him in the things that you're over here, ah, working and shoveling and digging and, and he's not even involved. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's a bad idea. Because unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Whatever you're building, if you're not inviting him into the process, if you're not working with him, with his strength, with his guidance and wisdom and his spirit, it is going to fall flat. I assure you it will fall flat. And if it's going well today, be warned. And if it's going really badly, this is your opportunity to move towards the center and begin to walk the line. Okay? If he's not in it, you don't want it. Let's, let's continue. Here's, here's the next passage. He says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In those days, they had a walled cities and they would post watches in the night and through the day. And so there would be soldiers on the wall and they'd be watching for enemies. They'd be watching for attacks. They'd be watching for all these types of fires in, within the city walls. And so they're watching. And his point is, Hey, that's a good idea. You should watch. You should work. But he says, unless the Lord is also watching over your city, your life, your family, your business, the watchman stays awake in vain. Because even if you see it, you may not be able to stop it. Only God can do that. So once again, he's reminding, you know, you can spend 40 years building wealth and you're like, oh, I'm totally taken care of and my kids are taken care of. And some event can, it can wipe it all away. Right? Jesus talked about the, the foolish steward who built bigger barns and put all his stuff in and then passed away that night in his sleep. It's like, what? Unless the Lord watches it over, you watch in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. So... This is describing somebody who is working hard. They're up at the crack of dawn and they're working until midnight. And then they go to sleep and they're eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep. Essentially, what he's saying is, hey, one of the signs that you're trying to do this in your strength, you're you're focused on your part at the exclusion of God's part, is that you are filled with anxiety. You're not sleeping. You're working day and night. And in the end, you're not achieving anything. Is this helping anybody today? Maybe that's you. So we talked about our part. The people on this side of the line, okay? I'm doing it. My strength, my ability, achieve. Now I want to take a few moments to talk to the people on this side. And you know who you are. The people who, the answer to everything is let's pray about it. Which, by the way, is not a bad idea, okay? Remember we just said we want to invite him into everything. But we pray about it and then we don't do anything about it. And this is the other extreme. This is where we get over here. And this is what you need to hear if you're on that side of the line. Let's say it together. God is going to do your part. God is never going to do your part. What are we talking about? This is a principle that we find throughout the Bible. And I wish we could take more time today, but I'm going to show you my favorite example of this. Okay, it's found in Exodus. Exodus chapter 14. Moses has led the people, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt. And they've arrived at the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is approaching from behind and they're trapped. And Moses says to the people, I love this. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Moses is like, God is going to save us. They're like, yeah. Notice what he says next. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. God's going to destroy the enemy. We're overpowered. We're overmatched. God's taking care of it. Yeah. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be what? 
<laughs> so Moses is like, God's about to do everything. And all you have to do is be silent. In other words, do nothing. Now, for some of us, when, when, we're, when we're in an anxious moment, being silent might be the hardest thing we could do. Right? That actually could preach. But what I find so interesting is Moses is like, you don't have to do anything, nation of Israel. Stand back and watch God do it all. And people print this off, put it on plaques, hang it in their wall, and like, God's got it all. What people rarely realize is that in the next passage, God rebukes Moses for saying it. <laughs> so don't hang it on your wall too quickly. The Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. So Moses says, stand still, say nothing, watch God do it all. God's like, yeah, I'm going to do it all, but you got to do something. And I'm inviting you to go forward. Go forward where? Towards the Red Sea. Well, that's just going to make the situation worse. Yeah, but I want you to do something. And God requires the nation of Israel to start walking towards the water but before anything happens. And as they begin to walk towards the water, God starts to move. He doesn't only require something of the nation of Israel. He actually is going to require something of Moses. Okay, so here's the point. God is never going to do your part. God says to the nation of Israel, you start walking, I'll take care of the water. God says to the nation of Israel, you start moving towards the promises that I said I'd give you, and I'll take care of Pharaoh, I'll take care of the problem, you got to do something. And so he invites them uh, to do something, to move forward. He says to Moses, lift up your staff. He's got his shepherd's staff. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hands. So not only are the people doing something, they're moving to the water, but Moses has to do something too. So he lifts up his staff, and he's like, holding it up. And hold it over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. By the way, this is how, this is how God works. He's never going to do your part. He'll require something of you always. I was thinking, if you think through the biblical stories, all right, here's a couple. Jesus comes along and there's a man with a withered hand. His hand doesn't work. And what does Jesus say to him? Stretch out your hand. He asks him to do something he can't even do. And the man gets healed when what? When he actually, he's like, that's not going to work. Ooh, it works. Why? Because God will ask us to do something simple and something natural, and he'll do something supernatural. This is how the, the thing works. Jesus comes, his disciples have been out fishing all night. Ooh, all night long, they clean their nets, they're ready to call it quits, they're starving, they're hungry, they don't have any fish, and Jesus is like, actually, throw your nets in the other side. Do something natural. This doesn't make sense. This isn't going to work. And they put it in the water. And of course, they have this huge catch. This is great miracle. Time and time again. Uh, you know, the prophet says to Naaman, he's like, oh, he's like, you got leprosy? Go wash in a dirty river seven times. He could have just said, you're healed. But God always requires something of us because that little something that he asks us to do is a piece of our faith. It shows that we actually trust him. Oh, we trust God enough to start walking towards the Red Sea, believing that somehow he's going to do what we can't do. And so what happens sometimes is we get stuck on this side of the line where we are so dependent. It's like, God, I'm just waiting for you to, I'm just waiting for this situation to fix. I'm just waiting for you. And God's like, actually, you're waiting for me, but I'm waiting for you because there's something that you need to do. So people on this sideline have to ask the question, am I building without him? The people on this sideline have to ask, has God asked me to do something and he's waiting on me, right? And the goal is that all of us kind of 
move to the middle and begin to walk the... That was really weak. And begin to walk the line. Where we're, we're, we're sensing and walking in the midst of that balance where we're completely trusting in God, but willing and able and responsive to do everything he asks of us. That's the line that I'm talking about. And, I, and as a pastor, I don't have it figured out. I'm like... This is my life. This is what it looks like, right? This is me drifting, drifting. Oh, big event uh, back over here. And then I start drifting this way. Like, oh man, the pendulum swung too far. And I'm dancing around the line and I'm guessing that you are too. This is how we have to, how we have to move forward. You know, when I, uh, I grew up in um, a faith movement, some of you know, like the word of faith movement and you know, people are really critical of it. Now there's some elements to the faith teaching that are really powerful and we shouldn't throw those out. And there's some dangers because essentially what the faith movement did, the teachings within the faith movement said we need to trust God more and we need to turn to his scriptures and use his promises. And so we're drifting in this direction. And so like, for example, when I was a kid, you'd pray for somebody for healing, which is what we're supposed to do, right? We do the the natural thing. We lay our hands on and we pray to God. God does the supernatural thing and heals. That's how this works, right? Right? And so we would lay hands on somebody and then they'd be like, well, if you really trust God, throw out your medication. It's like, whoa, we ran into problems with that, as you might imagine, (laughs) right? People would say, well, you know what? Like this sowing and reaping, the Bible teaches sowing and reaping, right? It's that you sow a seed and it it yields a a harvest, maybe a hundredfold. Like, so there's this expansive growth and all this stuff. And so we plant a seed in faith. So I'm going to give a hundred dollars. And I'm expecting that, that this $100, this seed I've sown is going to become a hundredfold. That's what's that, 10000 My math isn't great. $10,000. So I'm expecting my $10,000. And so that's great. Faith is great. Sowing is great. But the problem with that is it's, it's on this side of the line because I don't know if you know this about sowing and reaping. Like farmers, <laughs> farmers actually practice sowing and reaping in the natural, right? You with me? And one thing I know about farmers, they work really hard. Because if you've ever tried to grow something, it's not like put the seed in, cover it up, walk away, come back four months later, and there's this bountiful harvest. Like, ooh, hundredfold, and all I did was sow the seed. It's actually not like that. What do the farmers have to do? They turn over the soil. They fertilize the soil. They plant the seed. They water the seed. They weed. And then when it actually comes to its full harvest, they have to bring it in, glean it, store it, sell it, cook it. Like, And so in all of our teaching on trusting God and faith and all of this, you know, hundredfold, we forget the work piece. That's over here, by the way. And then some churches, it's all about works, right? It becomes about all of what we do and about our righteousness and about all our hard work and effort. And what are we called to do, church? Walk the line. And that's not easy. And I can't, I can't tell you how to do it, but here's what I'm telling you. We have to trust God. We have to work and do our part. And there's a line somewhere and most of us are not on it. And I'm inviting you into this tension that I've been trying to live for the past 20 years as we talk about this together. Is this helping anybody at all? I don't have my phone. I have no idea how I'm doing for time. But um, <laughs> let, me, let me wrap it up with this. Um, let me wrap it up with this. We already read that. God's part, our part. Yeah. Here's two questions. For those who, like me, tend to err on the side of doing too much, it's all on me, carrying responsibility and weight that God hasn't asked us to carry. This is the question that you need to ask yourself today prayerfully. What am I trying to build without you? 
There have been so many times where my wife and I stop and we're like, okay, we're, we're trying to like fix our kids and build a, a godly family without God. And we just go, okay, let's invite him back in the process. Let's step back towards the middle. We need to trust him. What are you trying to build without him? For those on the other side, you have to ask yourself, what is the part? What is my part? What is God asking me to do? And here, here are these two statements. It's a two-point sermon. It's so simple, so simple. If he's not in it, you don't want it. Let's say it together. He's you don't want it. Okay. So, 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 so simple. And the other thing is that God is never going to do your part. So from beginning to end, I'll finish with this. If there's someone here today who's listening and and you've never begun a relationship, you're hearing me talk about this, this tension of living the Christian life, doing too much of myself or trusting God and not doing what I'm supposed to do. And we're called to walk the line. Your faith journey actually begins in this very same way. You know, as I said before, God has called each and every one of us to do some things. We have to take some responsibility. We have to do some work. But we also have to trust him that he is the one doing the work. So we do the simple things. We do the natural things. We pray for somebody. God heals them. We encourage somebody. God transforms their heart. Right? We apologize. But God is the one that forgives sins. He does the hard stuff. And we just do our little part. We're just, he's like, it's. He's a good father. He's like, I'm inviting you into the process. I'm not doing it all for you. I'm going to invite you to trust me enough to take a little step and I do all the rest. In fact, he's already done it technically, theologically. He's already done it all. But he invites us to take a step and all of it is released in our lives. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, (laughs) this is crazy how simple this is because... Our God is actually the great judge who will judge us all for our sins and call us into account. But he's also our great savior who forgives our sins, who washes our guilt away and who brings us into his family. He's both of those things. And he allows us to be part of this process somehow. And one of the things that's so cool is is the New Testament in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says this for everyone who what calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say everyone will be saved. It says every person who calls out to God and says, God, I trust you. Forgive me. I repent of my sins. I trust in you for my salvation, for my eternity. God, I'm not doing this life on my own. I want to trust you and do my part. I'm going to try to walk this line with you. I invite you into my life. Like just you calling out on him is your part. It doesn't save you. He saves you. This is just your part. And what's so sad is that so many people come to church, they live their lives and they think about faith a lot, but they never take the simple step of just calling out and being like, God, I give up, take the wheel. I invite you into my life. Lead me. It's, it's, it's not complicated. It's simple. Whoever calls out on the name of the Lord. And if you're here today and you've never done that, can I encourage you as we close in prayer under your breath? here today when you go home i don't care talk, pull somebody aside with a prayer tag and say can you pray with me i want to i want to do i don't know what this looks like but i want to do this i want to call out on him i'm tired of doing this on my own little part god does everything will you pray with me lord this morning we recognize that as we seek to live in relationship with one another and in relationship with you that that this life is full of tensions Tensions where we we have to figure out how to love and and how to help and how to trust. And and Lord, as we try to figure out how to live our lives, completely trusting in you, but also willing to do our part and do the work that you've called us to do. Help us to find that line and to walk on it. 
Lord, for those in the room, those listening online who have been trying to do too much, we've been full of anxious toil, up at night because we're working so hard and can't figure out why. We stop trusting in you. Would you help us to turn our hearts, our attention, our love, our trust back to you? For those who have been maybe sitting with their feet up on a lazy boy waiting for you to do it all for us, would you show us what you're asking us to do so we could take a simple step so that you could step in and do what only you can do in the supernatural? Lord, if there's anyone in this room, anyone listening today who has never called out to the name of the Lord Jesus and said, forgive me, come into my life, I pray that they would do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen.